This is the Western Obsessions TV podcast, where hunting's not a hobby, it's an obsession. All right, guys, welcome back to the Western Obsessions TV podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Belding, and my guest today is the queen of carbon, the president of Carbon TV, Julie McQueen. Julie, how are you today? Oh, I could not be any better. Every day is a good day, right? Or at least we tell ourselves that. And if it's not, that's just a good way to look at it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, everything's good. Everything's wonderful here. I'm happy to, to be on here catching up with you. Yeah, and thanks for uh, being on the show. Um, I know uh, you guys don't know this out there, but Julie and I tried to do this about a month or two ago, and we had some internet problems, and it we we did. I love the podcast. I had so much fun on the podcast with you, but the recording was terrible. I so know. we're like, you know, let's do this again. So I really appreciate you coming on a second time with me. Of course. Yeah, I own that completely. I'm at the carbon headquarters. And for some reason that day, boy, we just had some real issues with our, our Wi-Fi. So I'm pretty sure we solved the problem. Yeah, I think we're solved. It sounds good. Looks good. So okay. so let's jump into, I mean, before I kind of get back to, you know, let's, let's, for the listeners that don't know who you are, if they don't know who you are, they're probably living under a rock and don't watch carbon TV, but let's jump into that first and then we'll get to like what you've been doing. But Julie, tell me about yourself. Where'd you come from? What are you doing now? Yeah. So Julie McQueen, most people call me Jules. Uh, <laughs> I've been in the outdoor industry for, oh gosh, probably going on 18 years now. So quite a while. And I'm kind of, you know, in the beginning, I was more known for TV production. So behind the scenes, I executive produced, line produced, build produced, and posted some shows over the years. And then my path brought me to Carbon TV. Um, I came here about probably about five years ago and took over operations. Um, you know, there was a, kind of some changes going on in the business at the time. And then um, pretty quickly after, I became the president of the company. So now I do this and I get to have the best job in the world. Very cool. And if you guys have not watched any carbon TV, you absolutely should. I love carbon TV. I've worked with a couple different uh, television, I guess, platforms, and I love working with carbon. You guys are so cool. Autumn's amazing. Is she, is she back or she's on her honeymoon? She's you know, I miss her. She has been on her honeymoon for what feels to me like six months, but I think it's been a week. Uh, so she comes back to work tomorrow. Yeah, it's so, it's what I love is that almost every interview I do these days, her name comes up because she's just so wonderful. She is, and who doesn't love Autumn? She's, Autumn's my right hand at this business a lot of days. And um, yeah, she's, I've tried to surround myself with people who are really passionate about what they do. Yeah, she's a sweetheart, and I know she's handling a lot of shows, but she makes you feel like you're the only one that she's taking care of, which is a yep. very cool trait to have. And again, guys, if you have not seen Carbon TV, it's absolutely 100% free. You log on to Carbon TV, create a profile, and you get to watch a whole bunch of really cool hunting, outdoor fishing, and a lot of other stuff. Do you guys have a lot of different other platforms on Carbon, right? We do, yeah. So one of my goals over the past few years was um, to kind of diversify our content library. So, I mean, I'm from a hunt fish background. That's definitely where our passion lies. But, you know, we started realizing that so many other great forms of content were out there being created. So now on Carbon, you can find so many other types of shows. So we still got hunting, fishing, a huge amount of that. But then we also have, you know, aviation, survival, agriculture, um, dog training, you know, just a lot of other types of video content that people seem to really love as well. Yeah. And it, 
Man, that's great. And it's super diverse. You guys are diversifying even more. And it really seems, and maybe it's just me and my bias, but it seems like the industry is really starting to get away from the, um, God, what's the word I'm looking for? A linear TV where it's, you got to be on this station at this time to catch this show. And it, and there's just a lot more streaming happening. Are you seeing that with carbon? Are you guys seeing a lot of growth because of that? Yeah. So two things. I, I have seen that trend. I come from a network background. So I've watched over the years as, as people have begun, um, you know, leaning more towards the digital distribution space. One major reason for that is we can track data very accurately. So we can see not just how many households it's available in, but we can see how many people are actually consuming that content and for how long. Retention's a big deal for us. We want to know how long people are watching, want to make sure they're entertained and sticking around. Um, but then the other side of that is, and this is, it's kind of a tough one to, to explain, but we've also moved into what looks very linear, but it's still a digital distribution method. It's called fast channels. It's free ad supported television. And this is global. So in a lot of other countries, we partner with networks where we're actually creating an electronic programming guide. So similar to what you would see on a linear network. So we, you know, we have a programming guide, all the shows air at this very specific time, and it's a separate offering. So we can still track all that data. It's all digitally done, but it also provides another way for people to watch shows that they maybe wouldn't have access to, but it's always free. So it just kind of really put us in a lot of other households. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, I mean, let me, let me wrap my head around that a little bit. Uh, so obviously you guys are kicking ass in the digital space and the streaming space. So now you're basically doing a linear play on the back end of that, right? So are you like, just like, I know like a Samsung TV has like Waypoint TV that's automatically mm -hmm. on when you buy a Samsung. Are you guys doing something similar to that? Yeah, we're on, we're on the same thing. Yep. Same thing. If you go yeah. to Walmart, buy a Samsung, Carbon TV is on there. Yeah. That's great. That's cool. Yeah. 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 So that's yeah, my nerdy business background <laughs> that's kicking in right now. You know, I'm yeah. interested in the business side. It's kind of a game of making sure that people have access to it and that we're at the front of their minds when they do feel like they want to consume content. So, you know, if, if somebody uses Roku, or Apple TV or Samsung or iOS, Android, no matter where they're consuming that content, but we also watch what type of device people are watching on. So if you're sitting there and you've got like eight spare minutes in your day and you wanna watch something on your phone, that's very different type of consumption than if you stream it to your TV. So yes. we're, we're kind of monitoring, you know, what types of, that's why it's, it's good for us to have all different types of content. Somebody might want a seven minute quick tip educational video on their phone, but they'll probably want, you know, long form, maybe like a documentary or a short film, you know, if they're streaming to a, a television. So it's really fascinating. It's such a, a cool business when you dive into it that way. And that's exactly what I was going to say is I bet your short form is more on the phone when I'm ready to sit down with some popcorn or whatever to watch something longer, we'll pop it on the TV. Right. Right. So human behaviors. Yeah. 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 And, you know, we, we really celebrate people just kind of providing all of those different time links. So, you know, if somebody's creating two or three minute, you know, short videos, um, you know, we make it really easy for them to bulk upload all of those on carbon so that people can really consume them and just binge watch all of it. Oh man, that's great. So now I'm getting all these ideas for my show. Right. So I do a lot of like reels, you know, everything within a minute or a little over. 
and shorts mm -hmm. on YouTube. So I could take all those shorts and reels and throw them on carbon too. Huh? Absolutely. They perform really well because we have what we call a recommendation engine. It's built into our system, very similar to YouTube. Mm -hmm. So when people start watching, you know, one of your videos, we'll feed them the next one. Um, Roku, for example, we have an update that came out not too long ago where it will autoplay the next one and people can just sit back and enjoy and relax and binge watch all of your, your content that way, which I mean, you know, that's, that's such a great way to kind of just let people relax and enjoy it instead of like on video on demand, they're just constantly picking the next video they want to watch. Right. Man, you guys are evolving pretty quick. It it's seems so like quick from an outside looking in, it probably seems like it's been years to get to that point for you. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's what's so funny is, you know, a lot of times people see the, you know, the public facing or forward facing part of what I do or what we do as a business. And they think, oh, cool. You stream some videos, you know, but behind the scenes, man, we just have these amazing genius people working here who they're coming up with ideas and they're, you know, really um, improving the user experience, which is important to me mm -hmm. um, because if somebody comes here and they don't like their experience, they're not coming back. So we want to make sure people are really happy when they're consuming that content and also that we're learning what they, what those viewers want and need. So we have all that feedback coming in and we're making updates and changes. So yeah, it's, it's cool. There's a lot going on behind the scenes that people probably don't ever know about. Oh, oh absolutely. I mean, especially the consumer side of it. Like we, we just want to want the end product. We don't need to know how the, the, the pies made we just want to eat the pie right <laughs> that's right that's right yeah and yeah. all of us chefs are over here in the kitchen going oh what kind of pie do they want today you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's really good all right julie i'm gonna take a little turn here i mean I, I, that's great that's awesome i love it because I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at heart i've been an entrepreneur over the last 20 some years um so I, all that stuff just feeds my like business brain but i really want to know how'd you get into hunting um, I, I know this a little bit of the story from talking last time, but the viewers need to hear it. I, I need to know how you got in that. Yeah. So, um, when I, so I grew up in Oklahoma, small town, kind of like an Indian reservation area. And, you know, there was a lot of outdoor activities. So there was camping and maybe like went fishing one time, you know, very, very limited in the outdoor experience. And, um, I graduated high school a little bit early, moved out really young and moved to Missouri. And um, when I went to Missouri, I don't know if, you know, I, I should go to, I should do like a, um, like hypnotherapy thing. So I can recall exactly what it was that was that spark, what that moment was when I realized, <laughs> oh, this is something I really want to know about. Um, so. I mean, you want to bring back I, trauma that you have forgotten? Yeah, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah, that's okay too. I'm, I'm all right with bringing back whatever, you know, but like, when was that moment when I saw a picture of someone with a deer or rec recognized that this is something I didn't know about that I was curious about? Um, so I went to Barnes and Noble in Springfield, Missouri, and I got a bunch of hunting magazines and books. And I would just sit at the table in the little coffee shop in the bookstore. And I would just read about you know, hunting and animals and nobody in my youth had ever explained to me that there's different types of deer. I assume they all look alike. You know, I didn't know they lived in different states. What was an elk? No one mentioned that, that that's an option. So there were all of these animals that I just, my eyes hadn't been open to. Um, and it, you know, just kind of this whole hunting thing as a, a culture that wasn't explained to me. So I went to hunter safety course and passed that. And I got permission on some property I borrowed a rifle, it was a seven meg, and the property owner was like, you can kill whatever deer walks by. Well, I didn't know that blinds or tree stands were a thing, you know, 
went out and sat down on a ridge. Um, I kind of like snuggled between two trees, got my shoulders in there and put the rifle up on my knee and a deer walked by and I shot it. And, you know, that was the beginning. I, I had never seen an animal die up to that point. I had never killed an animal. Um, it was very emotional. Um, but there, that was the point where I realized I didn't know anything at all. And that all of these magazines I've been reading, they talked about the excitement of the hunt, but not what happened afterwards. So I didn't know I couldn't pick up the deer. I didn't know I wasn't big enough to lift that thing up and just put it in, in the truck. You know, just, I know that sounds really, I sound like a crazy person saying that now, but back then we didn't have the internet. I mean, I'm sure the internet existed, but there was no social media. There was broad access to that right. type of information for people like me who doesn't come from a hunting family. So that was my start. I started working in the industry immediately after. Um, I still have um, the letter that came, like, like a typed out letter that was mailed to me, snail mail from the first company I ever worked for in the industry as promotional staff back before that meant something different from what it does now. And um, I worked for Scentlock and Muzzy Broadheads, both of them. Yeah. And I would go to store openings and I would learn their products and I would talk to people about hunting and I didn't know any other girls doing it at the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, about to jump down a big rabbit hole, but let me back up a little bit there. Um, I could see a hundred percent why you didn't have the knowledge of like, okay, I want to go hunting. It looks cool. I'm definitely interested in it. I'm going to read all about it. And then I'm out hunting. I shot something. Oh crap. Now what do I do? It, mm -hmm. it happens now with a lot of new hunters. They go out and mm -hmm. the big thing now is like, they, uh, well, guys kind of my age or younger, I want to go out and do bow hunting for elk. And then what happens is they actually kill an elk and they're six, mm -hmm. seven miles in by themselves. What are you going to do, buddy? You hey. know? So like, I understand that a hundred percent. So what did you end up doing? Did you just like phone a friend and like help? I, I called the <laughs> I called the property owner and they came and helped me put it in my truck. And I was like, well, where do I go now? I mean, you know, what do you do? So they explained, you know, typically you go to the meat processing place and the taxidermist. So I went and did that. And to this day, it's the oldest deer I've ever shot. I've never killed an older deer. Was it a one. doe or was it a buck? It was a buck. And he was huge and beautiful. Was and yeah, he's awesome. a big Missouri buck and he was super old and just old monarch. And it was just the, that beginning, that experience made me realize why it's so important to have these mentorship programs. So I, I'm on the board for a lot of them. I, I, you know, work with a lot of programs who make sure that other kids, you know, at least have the option. Yeah. So we can kind of, it's like a little cheat code, get them in a little faster than we you know when they're in their twenties. Oh, sure. I wish somebody had done that for me. So it's mm -hmm. kind of important to me to, to help other people with that. That learning curve is so steep and I'll, I want, I want to go back to like your first position in the, in the outdoor industry, but like, since we hit on the mentorship real quick is that learning curve is so steep. If I didn't have a dad that was in hunting and my mom also actually hunted with my mom almost as much as I hunted with my dad, which is awesome. Um, if I didn't have that, the, the, the learning curve to like actually be out in the wilderness and hunting is tremendous. So I started a, a mentorship program too called hunt mentor. And I just started it last year, which I don't even know what I'm doing with it right now. I'm just right now. It's just people like calling and like, I'm giving them advice and I've taken someone hunting once a year that's never gone and stuff like that. But, um, that, yeah, that learning curve is tremendous. So if we don't have mentors like that, it's be tremendously hard for someone, an adult onset hunter to go hunting. So tell me about 
your mentorship stuff. I see you doing some things definitely with women's groups for sure. I see that, which is amazing. Tell me more about what you do. Yeah. So one of them that's really close to my heart, I've been on their board for quite a long time is pass it on outdoor mentors. Um, Mike Christensen started that organization a long time ago and he's got a great staff now. They're mostly in the Midwest, uh, but they're trying to expand. And what they do is they, they go to, for example, high schools that have competitive skeet shooting um, and they will mentor those kids who already, the kids already know gun safety, they already have a shotgun to work with. And they will take them on their first hunt to kind of try to be that bridge from, you know, shooting sports into hunting. And then hopefully those kids get excited about it and, you know, do the same thing, right? Start introducing their friends or, or other kids at school um, into, you know, whether it's pheasant hunting or turkeys, they take, I, mean, I think it was like 1200 kids on their first hunt last year. I mean, it's absolutely incredible what they do. So, you know, I've been really passionate about just kind of making connections with them, trying to make sure that they, um, you know, they're on the right path. That one's really cool. Um, but just because that's the one I work the most with doesn't mean that that's the only one. Um, I just, I get so excited when people say, oh, I just started, you know, a new mentorship program or, you know, I, I work with this other one, Raise Them Outdoors or, you know, all of the ones that exist, they all have a purpose. And a lot of them have learned that you can start collaborating and working together. So, you know, just because, you know, one is doing this and that one's doing that, they can kind of find some common ground and, you know, um, all ships rise with the tide when we work together as a community. So, um, and then, yeah, and I, and I do work with some women's organizations. Um, I make sure that I'm available for young women coming into the industry. They all have my contact information. Not that I am a know-it-all or that I can always solve problems, but it's good to have a friend sometimes. And, you know, I know that these young women coming in, hopefully one takes my job someday. And I want those women to be prepared and to be knowledgeable and to have good resources. So for me, it's really important to, to be, you know, one of those pillars. Um, as I've become older in this industry, I think it's our responsibility um, just to, to naturally mentor, right? If we see yeah. somebody who needs something, we should be helping, even if it's not under the supervision of an organization. Oh, hundred percent. And I think I see a lot of hate still out on social. It's not as bad as it used to be. I mm-hmm. think some of the, we've kind of bonded together when we have issues like, um, you know, Washington bear spring season coming back, the wolves in mm-hmm. Colorado, like us of hunters, we've, we've started to bond together a little bit, but there's still a lot of hate out there. where like a newbie may ask a silly question on social media and it gets reamed, right. Or she gets reamed and I just don't think it should be that like that ever. You know, you're there. If you're a veteran hunter, you're there to like pass your knowledge on and like support other hunters. So I don't know. I just had to say that real quick. Yeah. And there's room for all of us. You know, I, I've surrounded myself with a group of really strong, powerful women who lift each other up. That's my choice. You know, I, I can choose who comes into my world and who has access to me and to my friend group. And, you know, I think it's one of the, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen is the way that we've rallied around each other and been supportive behind the scenes, things people would never even know about. But some of the, the biggest female names in this industry, we are very, very good friends behind closed doors. We give each other opportunities. We make sure we're taken care of and supported. And I think that, um, you know, that, that kind of breeds that positivity that we need more of. It just naturally breeds it. You know, if you, if you put all the negative stuff out there and don't let it in, 
and all you have is this kind of, you know, empowered movement, including the new people coming into the industry without thinking they're going to take something away from you. Um, there's room for all of us. Right. That's really cool. Yeah. The law of abundance, right? You think about it, the abundance, not the, not the lack of. So yeah. as a woman at, at the, I mean, you're president of carbon TV, I'd say you're a top pillar and a big face in, in the hunting, hunting industry in general, let alone women in the hunting industry. Let's go back to that first position in the outdoor industry with Scentlock or Muzzy Broadheads or both. Tell me about that position and how that position is different and, and kind of how you got that position. Yeah. So back then the way promotional staff worked was, you know, you would send your photos in and then, you know, I got a, a letter in the mail, which, you know, I, I saved after this many years because um, <laughs> it meant something to me and it gave me an opportunity to, to network and to meet more people. Um, but what we would do is learn about the products, go to store openings, send in our photos if we had success in the field and kind of build our network that way. That was my first kind of step into the industry. Um, one thing it taught me was that you're going to have to prove yourself. You know, I mean, being a female um, doesn't matter what you look like. doesn't matter how old you are. Sometimes there is a bias there. And I think you just have to kind of know that and say, okay, well, that's fine. I'm doing this for the right reasons. I have good intentions. So it will all work itself out. Mm -hmm. um, but then I moved from that into running camera and, you know, the filming hunts being behind the camera, that was something I, I became really passionate about. And, um, I started volunteering to film people when they were hunting, I would sit and this is back in the day, right? Not like, not like the little cameras we have now, this was the big tree arms. And I had these pictures of me with this massive camera and we'd lug it up in the tree stand with us. And I was just volunteer, wasn't getting paid for it. Just, you know, one way to learn the equipment and to learn the industry was to just devote my time. And, you know, and that was, that was kind of how I got into that side of it. I met a lot of amazing people who I'm still friends with 20 years later and, you know, started just climbing that ladder in a legitimate way. So um, ended up co-owning a really big production company um, in the outdoor space. So we were doing um, a lot of TV commercials, TV shows, um, just a very, very busy, um, busy time as far as the production side. And, and that's still my passion. I still love to go film people's hunts and volunteer and not, you know, not do it for a job, but it's just, I, I think that, um, remembering why we got into something is really important. Absolutely. And while you're filming, it's the same thing as hunting. You know, you're doing everything the same as you would be hunting, except instead of pulling the trigger, you're you're clicking a button or just clicking the it's, record button. It, yeah, it can be even more rewarding to just yeah. be a part of that adventure for somebody else. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you started out as a, um, what would you call it was the first position that was? It was promotional staff. Promotional. So like pro staff. Uh, pro but, staff, yeah. Yeah, but like the OG of pro staff, OG, right? Like, yes. Yeah, when, when you, you got a letter in the mail, your acceptance letter in the mail, not an email, an acceptance letter. <laughs> it's yeah, definitely there, OG. <laughs> right. There was no social media. There was no, you know, like pose with this thing and which I'm not slamming that at all. I mean, I'm all for it. We we hire influencers, like for sure. That's a, a true business. But back then it was just very different. You know, my experience with it was was a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, the whole I mean, the industry's changing so fast anyway, like from then to now, like there's a lot of changes that have taken place. 
Um, so uh, being, you know, an OG and uh, uh, probably one, of, I'm not going to say probably like the first, but definitely one of the first few women in the industry doing that type of thing. And now you're president of Carbon TV. Tell me about like, let's, let's talk about women in the industry and how much of a boom there is right now. You, yeah. You're kind of leading the, leading the charge on that. Tell me about that. Yeah, there is a boom and, you know, we see it fluctuate, right? So I noticed about 10 years ago, there was kind of an influx of, of women who were coming into the industry, younger, you know, young women. Um, and, you know, what you said earlier resonates because there there is some hate towards some people sometimes that, you know, I don't know if that stems from, you know, jealousy or insecurity. I don't know where it comes from, probably on a case-by-case basis. But my view on that has always been, if there's a a female or whoever it is, and they are presenting themselves in a certain way, um, but they're doing it with good intentions, then that's their, that's their story. And we should be supportive of that. You know, a lot of these, these women who were coming in back 10 years ago, eight years ago, that were getting a really hard time. They were actually encouraging a lot of other women to try something new, which I thought was great. Um, so who are we to judge? Uh, but then you have kind of the, um, you know, the, the females that are more well-known in the industry that have been doing this a really long time. They have a credible, you know, business. It's actually like a business that they've created. They're producing, they're hosting, they're, um, you know, really making an impact uh, on this industry. Uh, I know most of them and I know them very well, very personally. And I couldn't be more proud to be looped in anytime people talk about those girls because they're kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, they are, you know, very smart businesswomen. They work their butts off. They absolutely do what's right with the best intentions. They love what they do. So what more could you ask for? Um, I, I think that in this, in this industry or community, whatever you want to call it, if you really, um, you know, take a step back, take a big wide look at all of the female presence that's been created over the past 10 years, it's something to be proud of. And the way that um, not just women have supported each other, but the companies, organizations, foundations, brands have supported those women and made it possible. I'm super proud of that. Yep. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. And, it, and it's close. It's something that's close to my heart. I mean, I have a lot of good friends with, that are women that I go hunt with and they're great. Um, but my daughter's 13 and she likes to hunt. So I take her out and her hunts. And so I really enjoy what you guys have done. All of you women in the hunting industry to kind of pave the way for my daughter to be accepted and to open those doors for her. I don't, I don't, we could care less if she should got into the business side of it, but I love that she enjoys being outdoors and it's an accepted thing as a woman or as a teenage girl right now. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's helped pave that, that highway for her too. So yeah, it's close to my heart. Yeah, part of our job as women who work in this industry is to make sure that there's space, there's, you know, space for young women to feel safe and accepted. And um, I think, you know, that's just a, that's a pretty cool feeling when we get feedback that it's working. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, you see the, I see stats all over the place and how the, um, I would say the female hunting, hunting industry is really the only growing demographic in the, in and hunting right now, the largely yeah. amount. I mean, there's a little bit of boost of like archery elk hunters and kids, um, but the female hunter is is kind of the 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 growing. 
is, is keeping us hunting alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, what we're seeing from that too, is a larger female viewership. So like in my line of work, we're watching, okay, great. You know, we, we have traffic, we have viewership, but like how many of those are women and how many women are feeling like this is something they want to, you know, they want to watch. So as we've started adding more female led content, so female hosted, female produced, you know, content that kind of revolves around that. We've seen the female viewership grow, which is really important to the business model. You know, we want to make sure that, that this is very inclusive and that there, there's something for everybody. So that yeah. part's been really exciting too, is to see that number that used to be down here. And now that, you know, that female viewership is, is growing a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say the next question I have for you is about hunting, about you hunting, but what, okay. what would you call like the most memorable hunt you've ever been on? Would that have been your first hunt? Cause that seems like a pretty memorable hunt, but think about it real quick. What's the most memorable hunt you've ever been on? So yeah, I mean, the first one's always super memorable. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I, somebody, people have asked me this question once in a while and I think one of the most memorable, I've only hunted with my dad one time. Um, he started hunting more as I became an adult and my mom did too, which is really cool. Uh, I've never hunted with her, but I would love to someday, but I hunted with my dad one day and he shot a doe and we were just in this double ladder stand sitting shoulder to shoulder. And my dad's a military guy. My mom was also there. They met in the army. Um, so I'm sitting next to my dad. And I remember our plan was to shoot a doe. That's all we wanted to do. And um, he actually, this doe walks into the field, pretty textbook. Um, but he shot it uh, left-handed. And, you know, he's, he's ambidextrous. So he can shoot oh. right or left. He's, okay. he's one of those guys. And I just remember going, that is so cool. I just, I didn't know my dad was so cool, you know, and that was a long time ago. I haven't hunted with him again for quite some time, but just that moment of getting to experience that with, you know, with my dad was really memorable. And here I am, you know, we shot a doe and we cleaned the doe. I cleaned it. And, um, and we have that memory together. And of all of the things I've done over however many years, all over the world, some of the greatest hunts that you could ever imagine that doe meant more to me than anyone could ever even come close to putting into words. That's fantastic. And I think that is, when I ask people that question, it's typically not the biggest or most mature animal they've shot. It's usually has a lot of background to it and a lot of emotional ties to that, like going hunting with your father, you yeah. know, that's, that's usually the answer I get. I actually, I took my mom elk hunting. It wasn't like, it was two years ago for her first elk hunt ever. And I grew up hunting with her, whitetail hunting with her. So that was a really cool experience for me. She ended up shooting a, a bull and it was, it was really, really good. So that's that is, probably one of my most memorable hunts too. Right. Yeah. It's, there's something about, I mean, that's the reason why we, we love this so much. It's that connection, not just to, to nature and earth and animals, but to the people around us. It's like a, yeah. it's how we build community. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and uh, I'll say that anybody I go hunt with, there's like a, a natural bond that just happens when you're yeah. out. And so if yeah. you want to like bond with someone, go hunting with them for sure. Go hunting. I am telling you, that is, that is so true. Back in the day, I produced a show. It was on the network and, um, I, I produced it and I co-hosted it. And part of the, 
the whole story behind the show was I wasn't hunting on the show. I was just hosting, but we would take people on their trip of a lifetime. Um, I think the show still exists, but we ended up, you know, uh, you know, not, not, you know, producing it later years. Um, but those guys that we would take on those hunts, I mean, this is eight, 10 years later, I still get Christmas cards from their families. I still hear from them. They'll send me messages. And I spent maybe three to five days with them total, you know, and this is years and years later. And I still get these wonderful messages of the impact that that had, you know, on them to, to have that experience. And um, yeah, so we, we can never take it for granted that every day that we're, we're out there with somebody, it's, it's making core memories. It, it really is. And I don't, I don't think I've ever been on a hunt where I was like, I never want to see this person ever again. I'm sure that's ha has happened to where like you yeah. get too many days to <laughs> together, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, at that point I, I'd hope I just had the guts to be like, you know, this is like the worst, the worst hunt I've ever been. Let's just, let's just not, you know, but I haven't had that either. I haven't ever been in the field of somewhere where I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I will say for anybody out there that has kids and you're questioning whether or not to take your kid hunting, I absolutely do it. Not, not to like try to get them hooked to hunt or anything like that, but there's something that I found out last season with my daughter, because she's now a teenager, she's 13 and uh, dad's not cool anymore. Mom's not cool. We don't hang out. She doesn't like to, if I go up, try to give her a hug, she's like, oh, dad, God, what? And, but we went out hunting for two, three days. And we actually talked, we'd like, you know, cause you're out there all day and you're not on technology and stuff. Cause there's no Wi-Fi, So we actually talked and had some really good conversations. So if you want that as a parent, if you're out there, take them out hunting and you'll get some really good quality time with your child. Yeah, it's true. And you know, another thing that people, um, you know, have, I'm not, I'm not a parent. I don't have, I have a dog, but I don't have any human children. Um, but if I did, and I wanted to have them fall in love with the outdoors or hunting or, what, or fishing, whatever that is, um, I think that even just being experiencing the outdoors, even if it's not hunting related, and kind of, you know, gauging their interest and giving them little jobs to do, whether that's, you know, you give them access to the maps that you're using, or have them help you navigate, or, you know, finding a job for them so that they feel like this is something that's attainable and something that they can achieve and something they can, can do and, and that interests them. Um, you know, it can start with camping. It can start with going for a, a really cool hike, you know, and kind of experiencing nature, identifying kinds of poop on the ground, you know, just really, you know, basic stuff that kind of introduces them slowly so that it's not um, over overwhelming. Right. Yeah, I probably want to introduce them like straight to a backpacking elk hunt or, you know, like you're eating <laughs> freeze-dried food and bars and yeah, I probably want to start there, but, but that's a really right. good point is like, give them little tasks to do, yeah. to be part of the journey and of what you're yeah. trying to accomplish. That's really good. So do you have a, like a, a bucket list hunt? Is there anything left that you were like, man, I really want to go do? Maybe it's not even a hunt. Maybe it's just an adventure. Yeah. So um I definitely want to go to Spain and hunt Ibex one of these days that to me every time I see pictures of you know photos of just the landscape and 
you know, everything available over there. So that's pretty high up on my list. That's a pretty, pretty big one. But I would need like a month to go to go just explore, see the wine country, you know, yeah. kind of um, take it all in. Um, but Spain's up there. I'm actually headed to um, Argentina in a few months. So that'll be fun. I've never been there before. Um, Red flag or? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I'm really excited. Very yeah. Good. Yeah. So yeah, there's quite a few places, but you know, I, I think that as I've gotten older, it's more about, um, yeah, I definitely want to go do that hunt, but what else can I do while I'm there? You know, what else can I go explore and, um, you know, and culture. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like a history nerd. So I really, you know, I want to kind of dive in and see, you know, some of the historical sites. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, which Spain would be fantastic. And like, like you said, you'd spend a lot more time there. Yeah, go on your hunt for the seven-day hunt or whatever it might be, but mm-hmm. spend a couple more weeks hanging out, kicking around towns, wine country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I might get my wife into hunting if that was the case. Because no. she's like, yeah. eh, whatever. But like, if I was like, hey, let's go to Spain and you can hit some wine country and like, okay, I'll be gone for five days hunting, but right? like, your thing in Spain, she'll <laughs> probably go. <laughs> I think you get convinced. Yeah, I definitely could convince her to go along with me. <laughs> Um, what about, you know, obviously going back to a little bit about um, being successful or success in general, um, you've definitely come up the ranks and and made it to a, a fantastic position that you're in right now. Can you give any, any pointers on what you think is like the key points to success or something that you may do on a daily that you think is really beneficial for success for you? Um, one, my go-to uh, my key to success is to have grace for yourself. Know that you can't do it all. <laughs> um, sometimes those of us who are overachievers, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and that transfers into our work. So people understand if you don't get to everything every day, if you fall behind or make a mistake, uh, which we all do. So I think that over the past few years, I've learned to have more grace for myself and to be a little more forgiving um, that comes with humor. So, you know, if I, if I make a mistake or do something wrong, I mean, come on, like what people aren't going to remember it in a few days. So I just definitely have taken it a little more easy on myself in those regards. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that, that I think is really crucial is time management and understanding what you are capable of and, um, you know, making sure that you, um, set yourself up for success. So the way I do that is, you know, I have an agenda every day. I know exactly what I like to do in the mornings. I know exactly what I have to do. And then I manage that. And I make sure that I give myself the opportunity to also enjoy this part of my life instead of, you know, just smothering myself with paperwork and, and, you know, locking myself in my office like I used to and never coming out. So it's all about balance and you know, enjoying that, enjoying that journey and doing your best. And, um, and then finally, I would say, surround yourself with people smarter than you. Everyone on my team is brilliant and amazing. And I know I get a lot of face time for this business. I'm the face of it. I'm the president of it, but I mean, my team is amazing and I lean on them. We work together. Um, they're my colleagues and I trust them fully and I think that the way I've built my team around me is probably the key to the success of the business overall. Oh, a hundred percent. Cause like you said, you, you're one person, you can't do it all. And you guys listening, 
you know, key points to take out there is have some grace. You can, you'll screw up. It's okay. And have balance in life and surround yourself with really good people. I, yeah. I agree with that hundred percent. So quick question. Yeah. Do you do the things that you like before the things that you have to do? Or do you do yes. the things that you have to do before the things you like? Yeah. So, um, I typically do the things that I like to do before I do the things I have to do that way. It's not a reward system. And I don't feel like I've failed if I don't get things done. Um, so in the mornings I get up, I take Banjo for a walk. He comes to work with me every day. So he's here wandering around behind me. Was he that um, white dog I saw? That's my dog. Yeah. yeah that's Banjo. Dog. Banjo. <laughs> he, he hasn't missed a day of work in 11 years now. So he hasn't called he's in sick in 11 years. <laughs> yep. Nope. He never takes a sick day. Uh, so I get up, I take the inch for a walk and then I, I meditate every morning. I either, you know, spend some quiet time reading or in gratitude, breath work, whatever that means, whatever I'm needing in the moment. And then, um, I work out every day. I'm really fortunate. We have a full gym right here in my office. So I work out every day before I start work and I know what my peak activity window is. So that's one really crucial thing for anybody in business is to know when your mind is most productive. Uh, mine's between 11 and three. And so up until about 10 o'clock, I get to do all the cool things I want to do. I try to self-educate for 45 minutes to an hour. I learn about things. That's when I read newsletters or you know Google things that I need to know about. Um, and then I move into work and I that allows me all the time that I need to, to really be here in my office and get everything done that I need to get done. And if I don't get it all done, it'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. God, there's so many good points right there, guys. Like pause, rewind this, watch that again, <laughs> or listen to that again. So like um, some really good points. Um, one of them that I, I used to do a lot and I got away from, and I'm doing again is meditation. Um, I, man, it's just so good for my brain. It's so good for my brain. It's so good for productivity. It's just so good for my life. It's like, and I really want to turn my computer around right now because right behind this computer is a handwritten sign that says meditate. It's like that big. So I don't forget wow. to meditate. Yeah. Yeah. And, I but I that. like, I didn't ever use the uh, peak productive window. I've never mm -hmm. used that before. So my thought yeah. has always been is like, okay, if my goal is going to take 500 hours to accomplish, I want to get there as fast as possible. So I'm like, how can I get there as fast as possible? I'm going to work 15 hour days for the next, however many days it's going to take to get to 500, <laughs> but, which is probably not, don't you guys don't listen to that. Listen to Julie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's another way to look at it. You know, you probably achieve that goal a little faster, but probably brain will be yeah, fried but... when you get there. Yeah, um, quality of life is not, you need yeah, that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, uh, and I think some people get, um, may become intimidated by the thought of meditation. They, there's kind of preconceived notions. They think that you have to sit in a silent room and sit with your legs a certain way and you have to yeah. close your eyes and, and they think, you know, you have to not think about anything and none of that's true. So, you know, there's a lot of different forms of meditation. Sometimes, um, and again, I'm really fortunate because my meditation room is right next to the gym. <laughs> so I actually have a silent room. I can go in and sit with, you know, whatever I need to that day. Um, but sometimes even if I just have a problem at work and I just really need to solve something, I'll not take my phone in there with me. I will take my shoes off and I will go in my meditation room until I figure it out and yeah. just sit there in thought and 
contemplation and allowing myself kind of that time without distraction. So that can, that can also be super healthy for people who maybe are faced with things. They just don't know what they want to do. In that moment, it, you're not trying to go back to not having a thought you're like more focused meditation of like, okay, here's what I'm trying to solve. Let me take away all the distractions and get real common about it and just figure it out. Yeah. With intention and also people underestimate the power of breathing. So breathing deeply and correctly and breathing extra oxygen into your body can actually help you and your brain function in those moments. So getting comfortable with literally just taking some deep breaths whenever you need to kind of, you know, work through something, um, you know, it, I think it's just, it's one of those things they should just teach in, in school, right? How to breathe is the first thing we do when we come to this world. It's the last thing we do. Like, why don't, why don't people know how to breathe better? <laughs> so I mean, that's one thing super true. Do, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of people don't realize how to breathe. Um, so that that's been helpful for me. I, you know, I went through this whole meditation thing. We started a separate company, um, Carbon Unwind a couple of years ago, where it's sleep and meditation. And, you know, just, just working through that with my team, I learned so much and I became a better leader because of it. Yeah. And I know you guys are like out there thinking, oh, look at these two hippies talking about meditation, but Hey, I'm a big burly hunter, dude. All right. I'm very masculine, but I love meditation. And I'll be honest with you, I've today was pretty rough day. Not rough, but just there's a lot going on. Our daycare was closed because of sickness. So I've got a one-year-old little boy. So me and my wife are like back and forth taking care of him today. And it was my turn right before the podcast. And I'm like, I am mentally wiped out. How am I gonna have this podcast with Jules? Julie Jules. <laughs> and uh I, for five minutes, I sat and meditated before the podcast and I'm, I just feel so much refreshed now and I can actually hang and have good mental thoughts and not go, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I know a lot of big burly guys who love to meditate. It's, it's amazing. It just, yeah. you know, and it can mean something different to everyone. Yeah. For, and then you, you have different goals and outcomes for the meditation. So, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah. So, okay. We just got done talking about key factors of success. Do you have any, like you literally gave us probably about 20 or 30. Is there like a top three that you say, you say, Hey, focus on these. What do you think? Um, keys for success. Yeah. It's all who you surround yourself with. I really firmly believe that you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Um, I, uh, I definitely believe that um a lot of people think i'm the smartest person here it's definitely not true uh, so that one's a big one um time management you know because because you know on time management other people are relying on you so if i'm just in here goofing off and looking through instagram when i'm supposed to be doing something that helps my team it's rude i wouldn't i wouldn't want to be you know that guy who's holding up the process because i can't manage my time properly so it's my responsibility to make good decisions. And one of those decisions is how to manage my time. Um, I do recommend that you um, and everybody look into peak activity windows. Um, some people, you know, how you'll be talking to someone and they're like, oh, but I'll wake up at three o'clock and have this burst of energy. And, you know, maybe you think, oh, your circadian rhythm is off and, or take a sleeping pill, <laughs> you know, like, why aren't you sleeping? Um, but they're just, their brain starts firing at a certain time. Um, for whatever reason, and it took me a lot of years to figure out when, when my brain is at its peak for, for certain things. So 
uh, my team, I have, you know, a group that schedule, they schedule all my calls, they put things on my calendar and they almost never put anything on before 11. So, and it's not because I sleep in, I, Lord knows I don't do that, but it's because my brain starts working at a higher level around that time of the day. And I feel like that's when I provide the most valuable feedback or the most you know valuable part of me that I need to bring to the table. Right. And that makes a lot of sense and takes a lot of self-awareness to know that rather than, you know, running through a day with a, like a chicken with its head cut off, just trying to catch, keep up with all the to-dos and the emails and you're all over the place. Take some self-awareness to say, Hey, these three hours are my most productive hours. And this is when you schedule my most important stuff. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, self-education. I mean, if you want me to really sound like your mom lecturing you, you know, (laughs) everyone, all of you should be educating yourselves every day. It's free. Why would you not be learning something new every single day? I actually, here in my office, I have a, um, a, what do you call it? Uh, The sand sitting right there, the hourglass Hourglass? yeah hourglass and it's an hour hence the name (laughs) Um, so I have an hourglass here and when I you know need to self-educate I'll flip that thing over and until that sand runs out I just learned something there's a lot of colleges that offer free courses Um, you know you can actually take free classes on all these different subjects and topics and just learn new skills not it doesn't even have to apply to your daily life but I mean who doesn't want to you know, just constantly be learning new things and, and you never know how that will affect you. Yeah. And plus it fends off like Alzheimer's, right? Like continuing to learn stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a big advocate of audiobooks. I'm not a big reader. I don't, I, I joke that I have reading induced narcolepsy that if I start reading, I'll just fall asleep immediately. <laughs> so yeah. uh, audiobooks are, is key for me because I do a good amount of driving each day. So I'll drive and listen to an audiobook and that's kind of my learning each day. So yeah. Yeah. I agree. If you ever want to my book club and not that I have a book club, but I'll send you a list of books. I am a, yeah. a I go through probably three or four audiobooks a month, maybe, you know, just same. Anytime I'm doing anything, I've got a book in and um and what a great way to I mean, look at this, look at us sitting here with all of this technology at our, at our fingertips, right? right? I mean, people who lived a hundred years ago would be like, why are you not taking advantage of this? You guys are, are crazy if you're not educating yourselves every day. Right. You know, people that live a hundred years ago either needed a really good mentor, which is a lot of time and energy, or they needed to go find a good library and spend a lot of time reading a book in a library. So we can multitask. Yeah. We can listen to an audio book while we're doing something else. Like, yeah, I agree with yeah. you 100%. That's some really good key points, guys, if you're listening. I mean, Julie didn't become Julie uh, just, you know, out of luck. So she uh, <laughs> definitely knows what she's talking about there. Last time I talked to you, Julie, um, we had talked about a an interesting living situation that you enjoy, which is, and I want to call it like a simplistic lifestyle where like, I think you were like, you said like you're living out of your car at one point, right? Didn't you say something like it that? It sounds so bad when you say it out loud, but I highly recommend people just like live out of their car for a little bit. It's, it will open your eyes to how little you need in this life. It's incredible. I don't currently live in my car. I just want to put that as a disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can I see the headlines car. now. President of the Carbon <laughs> TV, Julie McQueen, still living out of her car. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd probably go along with it too. But yeah, so for a time, uh, the story behind that is um, when I, it was about five, 
five or six years ago, it was in 2017, um, I was moving from um, Tennessee to Montana and, you know, I, and I made that move. I drove out there, took my dog, and like life begins, right? Well, I had a series of hunts planned, you know, all around, you know, out, out West and from state to state. And so instead of traveling and going back, you know, to the house I was in, I um, decided to take my dog and pack just the essentials in my vehicle. And I got one of those tents that goes on top of your vehicle, which is really cool. Um, and I trained Banjo to get in it. Um, I put a, a yoga mat down the windshield and he could hop up on the hood and walk up in the tent. Okay. So uh, it was amazing. So we lived in my car for about six months and didn't really ever go home. Just, you know, I mean, I could have gone somewhere. So I don't think that qualifies as being homeless. But I encourage it because I learned more about myself during that time than I ever had before. I learned what I don't need. I learned what I really do need and what I do like. Um, kind of learned, you know, how to take care of myself in situations that wouldn't have been comfortable. Um, you know, personal safety. A lot of a lot of life lessons came with just removing all of the unnecessary from my life for a little while, and a lot of healing came with that. So that's a great time to do a deep dive. I mean, when you don't get to sit on your couch and watch TV at night, you know, you have to kind of deep dive into your own self. And, <laughs> and I came back from that trip a different person, I believe. And yeah, so I'm an advocate for people um, to to minimize your life and, yeah. and, you know, really focus on the things that are important. I agree 100%. I'm a very simple guy. I don't need hardly anything. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you, okay, here's why I'm in the position I am with doing what I'm doing is I hit 40. I know that we're not going to call it a midlife crisis. We're going to call it a midlife. I'm 42. Crisis. I'm 40. I turned yeah. 40 also. So well, I'm at, I'll be 43 in February, but when I hit oh, okay. 40, yeah, okay. <laughs> when I hit 40, I had a midlife adjustment where I had been an entrepreneur for 20 years, 20 plus years. And in, if you remember what I said about, okay, I have a goal. How do we get there as fast as possible? worked really, really hard, right? Like my, my life was a bit stressful. I worked really hard to try to accomplish all these goals and everything I wanted to do in life. I hit 40 and I realized none of that matters. Nothing matters. The only thing that matters is what experiences I have in life with other people. And I, and you know, my experiences with my family, friends, my relationships and going on, I wanted to go on really cool adventures and it always revolved around hunting with me with the adventures. So I hit 40, I said, you know what? I'm selling everything and I'm going on adventures. So I sold all my companies and I retired, right? But I only had so much money to retire for so long. <laughs> but uh -huh. I, re I retired at 40 for a few years and I went on a whole bunch of adventures and I'm loving my life. And I realized how simple life could be, but here's the key that I would love to go and be super simplistic because that means there's less responsibility and less that you would have to do in life. Right. And I don't need that stuff. But if you have kids, and here's what I realized. If you have a kid and I love my kids, if you have kids, that means you have to have a house. If you have a house, you have a mortgage. And then you need transportation to get your kids from place to place. And you have to buy good food for your kids. So <laughs> I can't go completely simplistic where I'm living out of like my vehicle and like I want to, but um, I would love to do that, but I chose to have kids and have a family. So I can't go completely to that side. It's very, yeah, very different path. I definitely do not have children. So that was a little bit easier for me. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think it'd probably be frowned upon if you did what I did, but you also have children. <laughs> I think child <laughs> services think... would be called. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't think that would be celebrated very openly. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> well, Julie, what is so what is next for you and next for Carbon Carbon TV? What do you have on the horizon? So we, it's going to be a really great year for us at Carbon TV. Every year is great, but I, I have a feeling this is going to be our best one. We have a lot of uh, stuff happening with the business. One thing I'm really excited about is, um, you know, earlier when I said, you know, there's a lot that happens and we don't always talk about it. And everyone thinks it's this, but really all these other things are going on. So we are doing a, and this applies to you, but probably, you know, not all, all of the listeners, but it's something I'm proud of. So I'll talk about sure. it. Absolutely. Um, we're, we're doing kind of like a quarterly update for all of our producers, because sometimes we forget to celebrate these wins and these really cool things going on. And we're on to the next thing, right? We're solving the next problem instead of celebrating the thing that we just did. So um, every quarter, you know, we'll be sending out kind of a list of all of those new features and user experience updates and new shows that we're proud of or uh, new distribution, you know, which I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of that that um, we've been working really hard to, to get it all into place. And then we just kind of onto the next thing. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about um, every time a, a new year rolls over, there's new opportunity for better communication, um, you know, new ideas, new creative ideas. Um, so carbon TV is going to have a, a really good year. We've added new shows, new features. Um, obviously, you know, we offer podcasts now on carbon, which has been going really well. Yeah. Um, the team's been really hard at work with um, a full redesign, which we haven't actually announced yet, but there you go. Um, here in the okay. next like, month or so, maybe I'm pushing for the next month, yes. but it might be a little longer. Um, I won't get this podcast out for a couple of weeks, so that gives you some more grace time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So in about a month, um, we'll have, when you go to Carbon, it'll look completely different. We've been working on it for a very long time. Uh, I have a meeting tomorrow so they can walk me through um, what all of that looks like. And I think that's really important for us to always keep in mind that we are here to create this platform for the producers and for the viewers. So, you know, as we, as we're building those things, it's not, oh, what would make, what would op optimize my life? What would make it easier for me? It's what do we think our viewers are most interested in? How do we tap into that? And how do we set our producer partners up for success? And uh, I'm really excited about some of the ideas that the teams come up with. Um, obviously, it's quarter one right now, so we're implementing. And then quarter two, you should see some really cool stuff coming out from Carbon. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I, I'm, I like love the idea of sending it out. Hey, here's all the new stuff that we just did because yeah. I didn't realize the short form stuff because I've been kind of in a hole. And I haven't been producing as much content as I would like to be, but the short form stuff, the new linear type of things that you guys are doing, mm -hmm. that just kind of re-energizes me to start creating content again for viewers on Carbon TV. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, on each different platform, the, or sorry, each different endpoint, you know, Roku, like I said, we just pushed an update where um, we offer continue watching. So if somebody steps away and they, you know, they turn it off and then go do something else and come back you know, they can just pick right back up where they, they left off. They can save favorites, you know, kind of just um, just a better user experience overall. So yeah. we're excited about about those types of things. Yeah, great. And what yeah. about you personally? What's on the new horizon for this 2023 for you? 
Uh, I will be doing more of the same. I will definitely be here running this business with my team. Um, a little bit of hunting mixed in. I've, you know, I've definitely decided to take more time for me to be in the field. Um, so a few hunting trips, a few, you know, adventures that I get to go do. And now, I mean, I can work from almost anywhere. So, you know, most people don't notice when I'm not here in the office. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a, another good year for me personally. I'm in a great place. Um, I'm a little more private than I used to be on social. Some of that is time management where I just don't have the time to do it. But, you know, the other side of that is um, I really enjoy my privacy. And when I do do anything that's public facing, I get to do it through avenues like this with you. And that means more to me than just every day putting my whole life out there on display. Um, you know, things like this, right? I get to be in communication and kind of be in community with our producers. It means a lot. And I never want people to think I take that for granted. So, yeah. um, yeah. And it, I love it, it takes a lot of energy to put your life out there on social media on a daily basis. And sometimes it's nice to conserve that energy and, and just enjoy some moments to yourself or with you and your friends and not have to put it out for everyone else to watch. Right. So I understand right. that. Yeah, it's so true. I've, I've evolved in that way. And, and I should be on social media a little bit more than I am. But um, so maybe I'll work on that because I know people are curious. And it's, it's good for the company for people to know what I'm up to. You know, I have a, I have an obligation to the people who we, you know, who we're partnered with. So um, yeah, I just, but overall, 2023 is going to be an amazing year for me and the business. I'm happy. I feel like you know, everything, I don't think anything could be better, to be honest. I'm just, I'm so or blessed. On some wood somewhere. <laughs> I know. Right? <laughs> I, I just, I can't believe I get to wake up and do this every day. I'm really blessed. Well, that is the dream, I think, is, is enjoying what you do every day. Because a lot of people don't enjoy what they do, which it, I kind of, you know, I'm, I have a really big philosophy in life is you can literally create anything you want in life. So if yeah. you can think it, you can create it. If you want something for your life, you absolutely can do it. Uh, and I'm I'm a I'm perfect example of it. I'm just this farm boy from Nebraska, that big entrepreneur. Now I'm changed my entire life to go on adventures, and you know, like I'm no one special, but I'm doing what I want to do. So if you're stuck somewhere, not enjoying your job or enjoying your life, you literally you have the power and control to change it. So fantastic absolutely. for you, Julie. You have done that, and you're continuing. Yeah. That. And the best part is that I get to be an observer while other people do the same. You know, I always keep in mind that at Carbon, we um, we provide a service that allows people to live their dream. And there's a lot of those shows who air on this network. And, you know, we're working to make sure that, that it's a healthy business and that we're, you know, providing all of the services we're supposed to. But, you know, I remember what that's like to be a content creator looking for a good home for that content. And, you know, that, I think that's why I come to work happy every day is now, um, you know, I get to see people doing exactly what they love to do. And that to me is really important, man. You know, I was about to like wrap the podcast up, but I have one more topic that that leads into that. I, I really want you to talk about. So yeah. with that being said, I know there's a lot of people out there that want to film their hunts that are starting to film hunts because everyone's filming right now. What would what would it take for someone to have a show on carbon? Do you have any pointers and tips for them to be able to do that? 
Yeah. So, you know, I think authenticity is really crucial. Um, you know, we, we do get a lot of content that comes in. You can actually go to the Carbon TV website and, you know, submit your content. We have a content acquisition team. Um, I still head up that team. Autumn's a part of it as well, um, where we review every single submission that comes into Carbon TV. We take a look at it. We gauge, you know, is that a good fit for our library? Is it something that we feel would resonate with the audience? So there's a lot of parameters there. Um, but I encourage people to, to be themselves. A lot of times we see content come in and it's like, they're just trying to be the other guy who they've seen on TV. And it's, you know, kind of like, oh, we're just going to pretend, you know, that, that we're doing the same thing, uh, which that's not a bad thing. I, you know, I think there's definitely space for that. And they probably do have an audience for that. Um, but what I see that stands out as something that, um, that really celebrates their individuality and that creativity, even if it's not the most well-produced show, even if it's not the best film, then it's not a huge budget type of production. Um, I really respect people who just go for it. And they're like, this is who I am. And this is what we're going to do. And this is the story I have to tell. And I'm going to tell it. And, you know, at, at the core, we're all storytellers. And it's better to tell your own story and to do it your own way and to really kind of show the world that vulnerability because that's what's going to, at this, you know, at this company, that's what I see performing best. Yeah. It's people who are really themselves and comfortable with that and passionate about it. And um, yeah, I just, I think, you know, and that's more, that's more specific to the outdoor, like the hunting, fishing space. Maybe, maybe, I'm, you know, I've just been in it a long time. So I've seen a lot of people kind of take that path of, you know, doing something that's kind of, it's been done, which is, you know, that's okay too. Um, but I'm a huge fan of creativity and people who, you know, put their heart and soul into something and want to tell the world their story. And um, thank goodness we have a lot of space for that here. So we're always accepting new shows. We bring on a lot of new shows every year. We try to be supportive of them. And um, every single one of them, they have my contact information. Everyone has my cell phone number. Everyone gets in, in touch with Autumn and we're here for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I've never had a problem with it. I put my, okay. my phone number is on my email signature. I talk to every single producer that we've ever had and open up my phone line because if someone needs us, I mean, that's, I'm obligated to be here for them. So, um, and Autumn's the same way and the rest of the team is also. So yeah. I think that's one thing that just wraps it all, brings it all back home that, you know, this is a company that really cares and, you know, we take it to heart. So, and you guys absolutely, and it shows, you know, I know a lot of my viewers may not see it how I see it because I'm in it with you guys and I'm a producer with you. Um, but even, you know, that's really good advice for you guys listening. You're thinking about possibly doing a show, even if it's just for YouTube or for a different platform, it's not even carbon. Like that's really good advice that Julie just said. And it's advice that I've taken because I started going down a, a road of like higher product uh, higher quality uh, cinematography and like producing a show. And I just, it wasn't as fun as me going out in my alone hunting and self-filming. I have way more fun with that and it's more authentic for me. So I've taken that big step and big turn to do more of that rather than try to produce this big show because I'm seeing everybody else with these amazing shows and high production quality and just not me. And I, I want to stay more authentic that way. So like that's great advice for someone that's looking to start a show or even film it for them themselves to watch at some point. So. Yeah. I think the, I think the takeaway is you be yourself and have a great time, have fun. I, 
I, you know, always say I did not build my career in this industry by killing big animals and filling a lot of tags. I built my career having a really good time in the outdoors and that is it. And I think everything comes from that. If your intentions are good and you're doing what you love to do and you have a purpose and you have, you know, every, all of your ducks in a row and you, you just kind of like find that thing that you want to do the most and do it. I mean, I, I, um, I fully support that. And it doesn't mean that being on carbon TV or being on a network, it doesn't mean that's, that's always the bar that, you know, setting the bar for success. It's as long as you're having a good time and creating the life that you want, that's a win. That's a win. All right, guys, this is the Western Obsessions TV podcast. You are listening to the queen of carbon, Julie McQueen. And I appreciate you all for listening. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Julie. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you for having me on again. This is the Western Obsessions TV podcast, where hunting's not a hobby, it's an obsession. <laughs>